Well, tomorrow is July 4th. As we look at America, what makes our country great and what makes our country not great? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I would love to get your perspective on our country, on America. If you're born and raised here, if you've come to America from another country, what makes America a great nation, an outstanding nation, an amazing nation, a nation that in many ways stands out in world history? And, and what are the significant shortcomings of America? What are our greatest problems and deficiencies to me Being truly patriotic means that you look at both the good and the bad. 866-34-TRUTH. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you today. 866-348-7884. So you can weigh in on my question. You can give me your views. What's your, your list? Top two or three things that are great about America. Top two or three things that are not great about America. What's your take on that? And phone lines are also open for any question of any kind. I'm going to be doing that as much as I can these days. You've got questions. We've got answers. Once more, 866-34-TRUTH. So I was in New York City yesterday, and I'm born and raised in New York City, New York City and Long Island. Spent the first six years in New York City, then raised on Long Island So Nancy and I both spent the first half of our lives, a little over half of our lives, in the New York area. She, Long Island, the entire time, me, New York City, and then Long Island. I love New York. I think it's an amazing city. Absolutely love being there. It's still in my blood. If folks say, where are you from? Even though I've lived in North Carolina since 2003 and appreciate North Carolina, and this has been a home for our family, when people ask where you're from, I say New York originally. North Carolina since 2003, since certainly I have more of a New York personality and attitude than a North Carolinian personality and attitude. And I say that with deference and respect to folks in North Carolina. I say that positively towards them, not positively towards me as I say that. Yeah, I've still got that kind of push hard, aggressive New York attitude. I'm at the airport. I get dropped off early. They're expecting traffic. There's no traffic. I'm two hours early. I'm still in a hurry. I still want to get to the front of the line. Why is this guy taking so long? You know, I'm just all, you know, always kind of pushing in that regard. That's just in my blood and that, that strong, you know, the, 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 the New York type of what you see is what you get. Hopefully Jesus has worked a lot of good qualities in me as well, but I love being in the city. I love the activity and everything that goes on. At the same time, I grieve over the sins of New York city. I, I grieve over the worldliness of the city and, and by the wrong things that it exports and stands for. In, in the same way, I love America. I'm amazed at our country. I was being driven to the airport yesterday, leaving Manhattan after broadcasting from there yesterday. And I was going to the airport and it was a Pakistani cab driver. And he's been in the States since 1992. And he was saying, everyone who come to America from another country, they don't go back to their country. And I said, what is it? that makes America so special. And I've heard this answer over 
and over and over from folks who've come from South America, from folks who've come from the Middle East, from folks who've come from Africa, from folks who've come from Pakistan and from Russia and other country after country. Opportunity. Opportunity. This is the land of opportunity. It's really amazing. I told them, you know, being born and raised in America, you take it for granted. But you come from other countries, and the opportunities here are extraordinary. The joke is told about, uh, I don't know, it's a famous joke, but a friend told it to me. As Russian Jews were making Aliyah to Israel, emigrating to Israel, so fleeing from the anti-Semitism there and the problems they were having there, they came to Israel. On the one hand, it was wonderful to be in a, in a Jewish nation and to not have to deal with anti-Semitism and not have to deal with an existential, existential threat to your life just because you are a Jew. I mean, their hostile forces wanted to attack, but here we have our own homeland in Israel. So very, very positive. And so much opportunity in many ways to grow and thrive. On the other hand, you had these Russian scientists coming over, these highly educated people, the elite of their society, and they came over to Israel and they didn't have the same opportunities. So my friend told me the joke that you go over to the gas station and, and as the guy's pumping your gas, he's explaining to you the, the chemical breakdown of this gas versus that gas because the guy's a chemist, a scientist from Russia, but he didn't have any jobs available. His only available job was to work at a gas station. Now, that might be slightly exaggerated, but there were folks who came to Israel and then were disoriented and went back home. All right, obviously, it's a, it's a small minority, but the, the, and I know there, those of you here in America working hard, trying to get a job, trying to get ahead and struggling. So I don't mean that it's infinite and endless, but it is an amazing land of opportunity. And it's an amazing land of, of freedom. And in, in fact, it's, it's an amazing land of independence and can-do attitude. I was talking to one of my friends. His daughter had been married to a Russian and uh, they were both Jewish believers in Jesus. They were living in Israel and the wife fell away from the Lord and left him. And I, and I asked, I asked the father-in-law, the father, father-in-law, I said, so is your son-in-law pursuing her? He goes, no, he just kind of thought she left. That's it. Nothing you can do. He said, you know, he doesn't have the American, anything's possible, can do mentality. I was thinking, yeah, a lot of cultures do not instill that in you. You grew up and, and the sky's the, the limit in America, other countries, the ceiling is the limit. Uh, and the, the Pakistani fellow is saying, look, you, you have poor parents in Pakistan. You're going to be poor. You grow up in a certain social status. That's the status you're going to stand. Very difficult to get out of it. So America is an amazing land of freedom, an amazing land of opportunity. And I'm quite sure that whatever greatness that we have is due to our spiritual roots, our Judeo-Christian foundations. The, the, the fact that we believe that, that all men are created equal by God. It doesn't mean that every behavior is equal or every desire is equal or every action is equal, but that our humanity is equal. Yeah, times past in our history, we didn't live that out, but it's because of the Christian roots that we ultimately have sought to live that out and triumphed over slavery and, and racism. Oh, we still have a ways to go in certain ways. Yeah, but, but the fact of the matter is we, we are an exceptional nation when you compare us to other nations on the globe. So I've been overseas and come back to America, so glad to be back in America. And I've gone overseas and come back to America, so grieved to be in America. Because I see how we have exported superficial materialism, a narcissistic 
self-centered, carnal culture around the world and how we have exported porn around the world and, and our violent movies and culture we've exported in certain ways around the world. So there are many things about us that are outstanding and wonderful and beautiful and many that are not. And the prophets of Israel loved their nation as much as anyone on the planet. And, and yet, and yet they often had the strongest words against their people. I know that when president Obama apologized overseas in different settings for America's shortcomings, it, it riled a lot of Americans and their feeling was the president of the United States must give a strong feeling of national pride. If the president is not proud of America, how are Americans going to be proud to be Americans? And there are many who are not proud to be Americans. And, and shame on Nike for dropping a Betsy Ross sneaker because of a protest from Colin Kaepernick and others. And yes, it is true. Colin Kaepernick, when, when the issue was no, no, he's not protesting the flag. Yes, the flag was a big part of the protest from the start. But many Americans were upset with President Obama doing that, and, and they want someone that's proud to be American to be the president of our country and not apologizing for our shortcomings. And I fully understand why many were upset at that. At the same time, from the prophetic perspective, I understood President Obama's perspective. In other words, that the prophets often recognized Israel's faults. When I have done outreach to the LGBT community, for example, when I debated Harry Knox gay activists and uh, professing Christian in 2008 began by confessing the failings of the heterosexual church and our shortcomings and our failure to set a holy and godly sexual standard and our wreaking havoc in marriage started there in our failure to reach out to LGBT identified people with compassion and kindness. I started with that apology and then said, that being said, I'm not going to fail you now by failing to tell you the truth. And here's the truth according to scripture. So, I understand what President Obama was doing. I understand why people were upset over it. And I understand why he felt the need to do it. it. Now, there is a liberal American attitude that is constantly denigrating the country and constantly speaking evil of the country. Whereas, when you compare us to other nations, we excel in many ways those other nations do not. And the same left-wing Americans often will excoriate our nation and mock our nation and speak negatively of our nation while looking the other way at the crimes of other nations around the world and, and, and almost exonerate, say, communists and others with all their evils while excoriating America and our liberties. And, and that, to me, is offensive. But for someone to honestly say, yeah, America's great, but America has failings, I think that's commendable. For someone to, to say, look, when I hear people chanting America, America, a political rally, or make America great again. What does that mean? Does that mean make us bigger, stronger, stronger military, stronger economy? What does that mean? Or does it mean make us godlier, make us humble, make us more God-fearing? For America to be great, America has to be good. For America to be good, America has to be godly. All right, we'll hear from you. I'm going to look in a moment at a survey I did on Twitter asking this very question, what are the strongest points of America? What are the weakest points? And the phone lines are open for your input as well as for your questions on any subject under the sun that relates to the line of fire. Yep. 
If you differ with me, I'd love to talk to you and find out why. By the way, I, I just happened on something. I was sending a link to a friend and I noticed that this, this one gentleman online who just puts out videos critical of other leaders had one blast. Me. I didn't watch it like an hour, two hours long. I didn't watch it. I just know about it because people told me about it. But I just checked to see it. I, I was in good company. He's done videos attacking Ravi Zacharias, Francis Chan, Matt Chandler, John MacArthur. Oh, yeah. I thought, man, I'm in good company to get attacked. But, hey, if you're one of those critics and wants to call in, let's do it. I don't have time to watch your two-hour video, but I have time to take your call. 866-34-TRUTH. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to the Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's take a glance at our calls here. All right, going to go to the phones in a moment, but let's look over Twitter. And let me just see, as I asked folks to weigh in, what do you think are some of our greatest strengths and weaknesses? So let's see. John, our best Christian heritage, freedom, football, I guess meaning American football, and worst, the sensate culture, if it feels good, do it, nominal Christianity that tolerated racism now tolerates immorality, pseudo-Christian movements like the Mormons or JW's Church of Christ, liberal denominations. Another, let's see, uh, one op- positive opportunity to go from nothing to a gazillionaire, two, medicine, three, laws, negative, Systematic racism, white privilege, hypocrisy. Then another, three best qualities, charity work here and around the world, freedom, opportunity, three worst, sinfulness, liberalism, freedom, double-edged sword, interesting. Another, our individual liberty based on the word of God and our people's ability to love God and be charitable are the best qualities. Our worst qualities is the more recent embracing of anti-Christian secularism and leftist ideology, which is destroying parts of the nation. One more. Best, striving after liberty, the worth of and protection of all persons and constitutional rights. Not that we have attained perfection in these categories. The worst, self-idolization, love of money, progressive decline of morals and virtuous character. Not everyone, thank God. Yeah, I, I appreciate input. Don't agree with every line of every tweet, but uh, agree with much of what I just read to you there. All right, let's uh, go to the phones. We'll start in California with Daniel. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, how you doing today? Doing well. Are you speaking right into your phone? Because it's a bit of a bad connection. Yes, sir. I might be a bad connection. I'm parked now. Is it better? Okay, yeah, sounds better. All right. So I wanted to ask you, um, I'm meeting with some Jehovah's Witnesses tomorrow. And... Uh, Obviously, you have a PhD in Semitic languages, and what they bring up when I bring up uh, Thomas calling Jesus God, they say, well, that was just, you know, my Lord and my God. That was just Hebrew idiom, you know. Uh, he's really saying, my Lord, oh, my God. He's like, I can't believe it. So how do you how do you dispute that? Because obviously you have expertise in, in the language. 
The same way I dispute that there's a man in the moon made of cheese. In other words, it's completely bogus. There's, it's, it's <laughs> it imagine, it's, it's, it doesn't exist. It's utterly imaginary. And, and uh, say, show me somewhere. Please show me in Hebrew literature where it's used like that. Here, here's, just get a Hebrew Bible out. Just show me. Please show me where that's used. Doesn't exist. Right. 100% right. bogus. And, uh, you know, not, not, only, not only that, you can press Jehovah's Witnesses on John 1.1, 1, 1, you know, in their translation that the word was a God. So say you, so you believe in two gods? Do you believe in two gods? You can ask them, uh, do you believe it's, you know, in the Bible they worship Jesus, so they bow down before him on some level. So you bow down to another God? Didn't the Bible tell you not to bow down to another God? You can point them to Isaiah 9.6, where the Messiah is called Mighty God. Same way there. Uh, yeah, you can point them to Colossians 2.9 that the fullness of, of the deity dwelt in him in bodily form. The key thing is, though, Daniel, to be candid, you have to really determine if there's any openness in them. Their only goal in meeting with you is to change your, your view and persuade you. So the only time I'll sit with a Jehovah's Witness is if I see there's any openness on their part. Obviously, I can, in my sleep, demolish their errors. It's not hard to learn to do that. But can I win them to the Lord? Only if there's some openness on their part. So they have one goal in meeting with you. That's to persuade you. That's it. That's their, and if they give the appearance of, oh, no, no, let's talk. We want to find out more. That is purely to, to bait you in and to talk with you. So in their view, right. you, you are the fish and they are the hook. It's, it's that simple. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's if, actually if, how I came to know the Bible was through them. So I yeah. have you know, their vocabulary and all that. Got it. Yeah, so you'll be able to perceive whether either one is listening at all or there's any openness or someone seems to just, as you give the answer, it registers for that split second before kind of the, the, the cult-like way of reasoning jumps back up. And you can ask them in the book of Revelation, how is it that Jesus is identified as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, when that's how God is identified, how is he the, the beginning and the end? If he has a beginning, how is he the beginning and the end? You know, you could also point out, of course, in John eight fifty eight that their translation there of the Greek and their so-called Greek indefinite tense is, is completely manufactured, just like the, the, the cheese man in the moon, you know? Uh, so right, it's, right. it's easily demolished. One other thing, have you been to the CARM website, CARM.org? Yeah, I've been there. That's a great help for me. Yeah, that's really good, systematically breaking down beliefs of the cults and just lay out scripture. Uh, but the key thing is, obviously, you know, pray for them, that God would open their heart, open their mind. And if you see any openness, great. Now, now look, I mean, you may just say, hey, this is a good way for me to be sharpened. And that's why I'm getting with them to sharpen my, my apologetic sword, so to say, and have a better uh, understanding of beliefs. You know, that's, that's valid. But, you know, many people... Uh, don't know who they're dealing with. Same with Mormons. And, you know, I, I remember Nancy was speaking to some Mormons. I was away on a trip. It was, it was winter and snowy, and they came to the door. And she said, well, you know, my husband will be back. He, he'd love to talk to you. And she said to me, I, I think there's some openness with these guys. That's why I, I, I told them that. So they came back over to the house, and, and I sat with them, and they began to give me their pat answers. And, and I said, listen, I'm not here to learn from you. I'm here to help you. You're in serious error. And, and one day when you have kids and grandkids, you're going to have to give account to God 
for for deceiving them and raising them in error. And one guy was really shaking. He goes, that's a heavy charge. I said, well, you better know what you're doing, man. And of course, I mean, they had no answers for anything, but may the Lord use you, Daniel. And yeah, zero, 100, I can categorically say that their interpretation of John 20, 28, when Jesus uh, appears to Thomas and Thomas says, my Lord and my God, does not mean my Lord, Jesus. Oh my God. Or as some have argued, my Lord Jesus. Oh, uh, then looking up, oh God, <clears throat> for forget about it, as they say in New York. Thanks, Daniel. May the Lord use you. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Alaska. David, how you doing there? Hey, good. How's it going, Dr. Brown? Really well, thank you. Hey, uh, so yeah, I just want to say I appreciate your ministry and what it's done for me. Um I like to listen to a lot of different speakers and um, a lot of different pastors, and you're definitely a good charismatic one that I like to listen to. And uh, and I guess relations to uh, questions on America, um, I grew up uh, in the church. My parents more charismatic, um, but when I grow up, it seems like um, it gets less. Churches get less and less charismatic and more towards reformed type like uh, Calvinistic reformed type churches. And I guess that's the church I'm, I'm, I'm a part of, but uh, I don't, I'm not necessarily Calvin Calvinistic or I still believe miracles can happen today. Cause I think you can, especially you proved it in the Bible that uh, it's supposed to happen for these days. Um, so I'm just wondering, have it, have you noticed that all over America or. Yeah. Well, it's uh, David, it's, it's a, it's a broad, question america is a big country obviously yeah. and and all of us only know so much and touch so many people and see so much data but i'll say a few things uh first there are calvinistic charismatics uh historically this yeah. century and last century that has not been the norm but there are more now than there were a generation uh, ago as the charismatic movement has spread more and more and more that's one thing yeah uh, a, a second thing is that I went that same direction, late 70s, early 80s, that as I became more Calvinistic, I became less charismatic. And I'm yeah. not faulting anyone, but for me, it was part of a, of a heavier intellectualism and theological emphasis that downplayed relationship and encounter. So I have yeah. seen churches that as they leave their first love, as they leave dependence on the moving of the spirit, as they leave a burden for the lost and begin to get more theological, that they have a, that Calvinism has an appeal to them as a more quote orthodox system or a more systematic way of, of thinking, and that draws them in. Now I know others that say that their own lives have been revived by becoming Calvinists, that it gave them a greater love for God and appreciation of grace. So I'm, I'm not uh, obviously I can't yeah. speak for for everyone. Um, but what I, I also see is that a lot of the charismatic church has, has gone in such a direction of a superficial self-help gospel, a me-centered mm -hmm. message, that there is a rightful swing away from that. But then the swing often goes so far in a God-centered way that it goes, in my view, to a view that, uh, that is beyond Scripture, and, and that would become Calvinism. So... Uh, Calvinism, in a sense, is the, the answer 
to the self-centered gospel, but that answer goes too far. And sometimes those in the charismatic movement were swinging away from this, everything predestined by God in terms of salvation kind of message, and then swung this way where now man's in the center or it's Satan here and God here and we cast the deciding vote. That being said, around the world, the churches that are growing the most rapidly in terms of conversions of the lost and sustainable church growth around the world, overwhelmingly, they are charismatic Pentecostal, overwhelmingly. And sometimes as they settle in more, and, and see less of the supernatural and, and start to get into more theological reflection, uh, they become Calvinistic. In some ways, there's a healthy movement. In other ways, an unhealthy movement. To me, if we emphasize first love, passion for the Lord, intimacy with God, burden to reach the lost, encountering God in the Spirit, if we major on those things, we'll come out well. Hey, thank you for the call and the kind words. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. This is interesting. I'm not sure how we ended up in the history of Christianity category, but I just spot it on Amazon that Jezebel's War with America, which comes out in slightly over a month, is now the number one release, new release in the history of Christianity on Amazon. If you haven't yet ordered Jezebel's War with America, do so today. Go to Jezebel'sWarWithAmerica.com. It'll give you instructions on how to pre-order. Now, if you pre-order from us the signed numbered copy with the Spiritual Warfare series, that's that's all done, and we're blessing you with that free series as well. But if you order Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Christian Book, any of the online book dealers. Be sure to go to JezebelsWarWithAmerica.com. You'll get the ebook free also. You'll get Playing with Holy Fire, the ebook of that free, and then a bunch of other resources free. When the publisher told me what they were doing, I was shocked. It was over $50 of free resources when you go and order the hardcover on Amazon or elsewhere. So go to JezebelsWarWithAmerica.com. Real easy instructions to follow there. And yes, yes. As Eric Metaxas and I discussed when I was on his show yesterday, and that'll air in a few weeks, the interview, uh, you better believe there is a spiritual attack on our nation. You better believe the same demonic forces that were at work through Queen Jezebel 3,000 years ago are at work again today. This is Michael Brown. You are tuning into the line of fire, 866-34-TRUTH, number to call, 866-348-7884. Phone lines are open for anything under the sun you want to talk about. Any question, any comment of any kind. But in particular, with July 4th coming tomorrow, if you have some thoughts on what makes America great, what makes America not great, what are our greatest qualities? What are our worst qualities? We'll take some calls. I asked the same question on Twitter. Let me read some of the responses. What are the best qualities of America? Top three. Still have a God-fearing core our heart to give, our constitution. Bottom three, our people are too naive, sleeping church, large, godless population. One, two, three allows evil to thrive and pervade everything. Uh, Here's one. Hi, a British guy who has visited America giving his opinion here. Thank you. 
uh, three best constitution approach to apologetics theologians three worst seminaries pervasive cultural marxism consumerism uh yeah kai i agree what makes america great is that we're free to talk about what is and isn't great about america a lot of places you can't do that all right here's another all good but democrats and antifa and another the best are the constitution bill of rights the land and the people when confronted as individuals the worst are the government insofar as it's been corrupted it's Government worship above all else. And the people, when confronted as a mob, whether left or right leaning. All right. uh, One more. Best. Underpinning of biblical worldview. Slow but real cultural progress in some areas. Rule of law. Worst. Inflated sense of godliness. Unhealthy marriage between economics and politics. Failure to honestly assess its moral track record. For example, racism. I appreciate the thoughts, contributions very much. All right, back to the phones. Over to Rashad in Florida. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hey there, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you, sir. Awesome. I recently came across your channel. I love what I heard, so I decided to subscribe. Sweet. I'm so glad to hear that. Yes, sir. Uh, one of those, I think, uh, as far as the two of the worst, um, aspects of America. One, um, really this prosperity gospel being adopted uh, by the church overall. Um, yeah. I think most people, uh, we've gotten away from, you know, really seeking God for our purpose and his assignment on our life uh, in, in focus of, you know, uh, achieving uh, wealth or fame or, you know, just really uh, trying to, I guess, just build up our, our resumes trying to um, just chase money. And I think that, you know, with, with, uh, especially even in my church, for instance, uh, there's this, um, you know, if you pay your tithes, God's going to bless you with, with, with witches. I, I see millionaires here, but you know, God never said that he was going to give us, uh, uh, riches and, and fame. You know, he said that he'd give us peace and, and, and love and you know, the fruit of the spirit. That's what God said he was going to bless us with. So, you know, I really think if we, you know, turn back to just a biblical foundation um, that most people would change. And yeah. uh, secondarily, I think that another uh, another issue that's really plaguing America, but the church primarily, um, is the fact that we're not aware of the spiritual, oh, I guess, spiritual warfare. You know, in other countries, uh, especially uh, in the Middle East, for instance, you know, in the Bible it says that, you know, demons manifested, you know, something that was normal but in america right. we're not see these we don't see these things you know as prevalent as in other countries yeah so, and you know, you know we're r- not r- aware of yeah oh, i'm sorry and part of it is a, is a bit of a rationalism and a naturalism if you go over say to the continent of africa the spirituality there basically takes the spiritual realm to be as real as the natural realm that's just commonplace right. There are Baptist churches, you know, non-charismatic Baptist churches in Africa that drive demons out of people. And things are so much more open and overt. Here, it's much more hidden. And and people who can be really demonized people can rise up to leadership in the society ideologically and otherwise and spread all kinds of perversions around the nation, and they get, they get celebrated. You know, as for the prosperity gospel, what, what grieves me there, Rashad, especially, is we've, we've exported it around the world. We, we have... Uh, we have preached it. 
And look, I believe in provision. There's an unhealthy mentality that thinks, you know, we never have enough and we never have and we can never give. So there's a spirit of generosity that the word of God encourages and, and we should have a giving spirit. And because we're a prosperous nation, all the more should we have a giving generous spirit. And to that extent, America's really helped fund the gospel worldwide in, in amazing, amazing ways. At the same time, yeah, the where is the cross in the prosperity gospel? Where is the deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me by life or by death in the prosperity gospel? The American mentality is uh, Jesus died for me, meaning it's all about me as opposed to Jesus died for me. So now I can live for him. So th those are weaknesses for sure. No question about it. And, and by the way, my Jezebel book, which comes out um, in a month, one of the big things is to say, op open your eyes, friends. Let's open our eyes to the reality of spiritual warfare that we're in, whether we see it visibly or not, we see all the evidence of it. Hey, thank you, sir, for the call and for being a new subscriber. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Russell in Georgia. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. I have a quick question. Um, my wife, who is struggling to believe after her mother passed 15 years ago. I've been mm. trying to point her uh, towards God. She hasn't prayed since. Um, she's struggling a lot. And one of the evidences she uses to defend her almost agnostic sort of view, because she's real confused, is that there's no evidence for the story of Exodus. And she thinks the Bible's been manipulated by the Catholicism and all this stuff. Um, I've tried pointing her to some of James White's um, textual criticism material, but that, that kind of didn't go the way I would have liked it to. And I'm just wondering, is there anything you're aware of that's uh, or reading material that's got any strong evidence that supports the um, biblical account of Exodus? Yeah, of, of course. She, her big defense is that the Egyptians don't, like, as much as they recorded, they would have recorded it if it happened. Yeah, that... that uh... That is an argument that's raised. In other words, there's substance to that argument. Where is it chronologically? How does it fit? At the same time, the Egyptian leaders were famous for not talking about their defeats and their failures. So that's the other thing. What type of literature did they write? And would they be prone to admit such devastating calamities and losses? And the, the answer is, many cases, no. It, it, what I'd encourage you to do is check out the writings of Kenneth Kitchen. Kenneth Kitchen. He's one of the world's foremost Egyptologists. Okay? Um, okay. Very, very few Egyptologists beyond him. I mean, among the most highly respected in the world for many, many years. Worked with the primary sources. And he wrote a bunch of books attacking the higher critical views of the Bible beginning in the 60s with Ancient Orient and Old Testament, he wrote a book about 500 pages where he put a lot of stuff together dealing with the criticism and the mockery. It's called On the, Re On the Reliability of the Old Testament. Kenneth Kitchen, there we go. Kenneth A. Kitchen, On the Reliability of the Old Testament. That's one book, and it's, it's quite comprehensive in terms of, of what he deals with. But he's, he knows the stuff. Let me mention another scholar, James Hoffmeyer. 
H-O-F-F-M-E-I-E-R. Uh, also one of the most respected Egyptologists around today. And he has a book specifically dealing with the Exodus itself. I, I remember getting a call from a 16-year-old uh, Jewish man who was really searching for the truth and coming to faith in Yeshua and asked me this very same question. And I recommended this book to him. Israel in Egypt is the name of the book by James K. Hoffmeyer, H-O-F-F-M-E-I-E-R. So these are both highly respected Egyptologists. Uh, they're, They're both evangelical Christians, but outside of their Christian faith, they are highly respected as scholars of Egyptology. So one, the kitchen book is much broader, but also deals with the Exodus question. The Hoffmeyer one is just focused on that. You know, obviously there's some disappointment, something or some hardness of heart somewhere with your wife. That's the deepest issue. And as you pray, uh, ask the Lord for wisdom and insight as to what's the root of her turning from the Lord. Sometimes it's disappointment. Sometimes it's, it's rebellion or seduction of sin or whatever. It can hit in different ways. But many times what happens is when there is a, a, a solid intellectual response, it opens the door for faith to come again. In other words, someone loses faith, and right now it's more an emotional thing than an intellectual. But when we give them something that's intellectually sound, it opens their, their heart. Well, maybe I can look at this again. So Lord, we pray for Russell's wife that you'd open our heart and her mind. May she respond to truth. May she be restored to you. May she know you in a way she never has before. Give Russell wisdom. In Jesus' name. We'll be right back, friends. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Hey, let me draw your attention to an article. I don't have time to go through it now, but it's at my friend Joseph Matera's website. So Joseph Matera, M-E-T-T-E-R-A, org. It's called Our Declaration of Independence from God. Joseph is a, a careful, biblical thinker, solid in history and philosophy when he's analyzing issues and a leader's leader. So check that out, josephmatera.org, Our Declaration of Independence from God, relevant on this day before July 4th, 866 Three, four, truth. I'm going right back to the phones. Over in Arkansas, John, welcome to the line of fire. Well, thank you, um, Dr. Brown. Yeah, I got a question about the um, the firmament and, or mm-hmm. the rakia. Yeah. And, um, and I'm, right now, I'm particular, I'm looking, you know, I, you know, we know it goes back to Genesis 1-6, but um, in there it holds up the heavenly waters. Um, and in Ezekiel, you can see that um, he, you know, uh, as a microcosm of the what the Maase Merkava um, above their heads was 
the likeness of a firmament, and and it was likened unto, um, you know, Karak or, or frost, ice, or crystal. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And, you know, the Septuagint follows that with Krustalos. And then you find that reference when you go to Revelation 4, before the Sea of Glass, you have the same identical Krustalos being used in Revelation, I believe, chapter 4. Right. And so, um, yes, sir? Yeah, yeah, I'm listening to you. Okay, so, um, you know, I'm a... You know, I'm a, I'm obviously I'm, I'm an evangelical, and I used to believe in the theory that in the flood, uh, you know, the the firmament came down, and you know, and that's how you were able to flood the earth because you can't flood the earth if you just dump the water on the sea. From the, you know, if you take all the water out of the sea and you put it on the mm-hmm. land, it's going to go back into the basins of the sea. So you got to have water from an outside source. So we know about, you know, the story of of creation, but. Um, According to David, you know, like you go to Psalm 19. If you could bottom line that, yeah, if you could, actually, though, so so let me me back up. What you said about the Septuagint is not accurate, by the way. You got the words wrong there. Yeah, the the Septuagint is translating what Hebrew speaks of crystal. Well, you mentioned yeah. crystal, though. Yeah, Why did you mention crystal? Because well, stereoma is, is just... It's a, it's a, no, 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 no. What I was saying, Doctor, in, 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 in the Septuagint, when you go to... But, ster- but stereoma the stereoma has nothing to do with crystal. That is just a translation of rakia. It means no. firmament or firmness. So the crystal no, thing it, is well, completely... The stereoma, they call... It, it calls it, it, it's something hard, you know, and that's where, it, you know... No, but the, no, 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 okay, no, you're, you're, missing, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Oh, it, okay. It looked like, it looked like crystal. It didn't say... Yeah, it had yeah, the, of course, the, because oh, you're okay. looking at the, the Ma, I say Merkaba. You're looking at the, you know, his vision of the, you know, of the cherubim. So, of course, it's going to be, what, what is it, Demut or something like that. It's like... Right, so, the appearance of it, right. Um, right, so yeah, the ancient yeah, exactly. conception, right, that. so... The, we know that rakia, the word rakia, can in Phoenician, for example, it can just refer to something like a beat out piece of tin or metal. All right, and if you're looking at it in the most yeah. natural physical terms, you've got this 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 substance of some kind that separates the waters above from the waters below, and then when the windows open, the waters come down through that. That would be the most natural way of of looking at things. But but nowhere is the rakia actually pictured as some kind of metal dome or anything like that. It's it's something. Oh yeah, it is. Oh yeah. No no no. You're wrong about that. In the book of Job, um, uh, you know, no, it says that the 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 skies are as hard as a a molten looking glass. No, but we're no no. It's it's talking about the 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 rakia. But you're not. You're 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 sure that that's not an appearance. That it's not talking about how well, the skies okay. appear. Are you saying the bot that that oh, the author of Job okay, that, actually? Okay, like just like okay, 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 doctor. Look, in the ancient world, you know, like uh, you know, this uh, Geb and Nut. Like if you go to the Egyptian creation story, you got you got Geb. She's she's the sky goddess, and embedded in her mm-hmm. is this is the stars, and and she's the firmament. Okay, um, and you got Geb, you know, uh, down below. 
And you know, and in the Babylonian creation story, you have the same thing. I mean, you got you got but, Tiamat, right, but it all. But but when and, you but you okay. So when you look at, you should know this. Then the Bible stands out like light from massive darkness. That in the Babylonian account, Tiamat is cut in half, and half is heaven, and half is earth. And you've got a battle between the deities, and some of the deities are upset because the other, you know, is too much noise going on, so they have a battle between them. And you've got Ugaritic literature where there's bestiality occurring, you know, with the with the divine beings and things like that. So Genesis one stands out in stark contrast. You read Genesis one, you think, where did anyone no, get I, this I, from? I, no, I totally agree. Right, with and you. in Job, totally, you know, it says that, that God hung that. the earth on nothing. By the way, I pr- I appreciate your familiarity with this in the languages. That's great. So your bottom line question then. I'm not quite sure what the question is. Okay, so so my, my, my question is is that the firmament is something that is hard because it's separating the heavenly ocean above, because we know from Psalm uh, 148.4 that, you know, it says, David says, Rejoice, ye waters which are above the heavens. So, you know, um, that, that the, 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 there, right, there so, is right, a so heavenly the, the Right. What's the question, though? That's so. The I'm question is, is, is that, is that, is that, is that this? Is that the Bible has a different cosmology than a modern evangelical scholar would adopt? Because according to Psalm, you know, nineteen, the sun is what is what's moving. Um, you know, it, it's it, right, it's it observation. Right. It's, it's observational. Right. But but let me ask you something, John. If the Bible talked yes, about sir. the Earth moving around the Sun, then everyone in, until the, the Copernican just, just listen, then everyone until the Copernican Revolution would have thought, you know, in, until the time of shift with Galileo and all this, they would have all thought the Bible was wrong. It is using observational language and it is describing things in certain physical terms, but it also says that uh, I mentioned, you know, God hangs the Earth on nothing mentions things like that. So, yeah, John, I I read Genesis 1 to understand God's order and to understand how he sets things in place. And then uh, what you may want to do, though, if, if you haven't done this, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen Jonathan Sarfati's commentary on Genesis. He knows the Hebrew well. He's a young earth creationist. And I'd be curious if you have the chance to look at it, John, because obviously you, I have Vestermann's. I have Vestermann's commentary, and and no, he Ve- Klaus Vestermann is a German you know, liberal. That, that Genesis really, follows exactly the Enuma, the you know the Enuma Elish, with the firmament being made. Uh, all right, but but even the there, sun. okay, okay. So, John, just to, just to jump in, actually, Vestermann is a, is a brilliant, critical German scholar, but Vestermann differs with most critical scholars in his rent. He does not believe that the Enuma Elish opening clause is found in Genesis one, one, but rather in Genesis one, two, Genesis one, one standing by itself. That's a whole other subject. Get Jonathan Sarfati's commentary on the opening chapters of Genesis. Okay. Of course, Klaus Vesterman is going to say that he's a, a brilliant, but liberal critical German scholar. Of course. All right. One other thing. Get the Bible and the Ancient World by Kenneth Kitchen. I just referenced him. The Bible and the Ancient World by Kenneth Kitchen. He will demolish the idea of a direct connection between the Babylonian creation account and Genesis 1. And since you're an evangelical, these will help you. Kenneth Kitchen, the Bible and the Ancient World, that's one. 
and then Jonathan Sarfati's commentary as a young earth creationist on the early chapters of Genesis. I, th- I think you'll find it to be very interesting reading. All right. Uh, let's see. Do I have time? Uh, okay. Let me try to go quickly. Brian in California, dive right in. Time is short. Okay. Hey, Dr. Brown. It's good to, uh, can you hear me good? Yeah. Just speak up and go for it. Oh, awesome. So, um, I just want to say, like, it's such an honor to be talking to you. Uh, I listened to you quite a bit. Um, really quickly, my question is in regards to salvation, actually, and certain like language that I'm. I've just come across a book. I don't know if you know. Uh, well, I didn't just come across. I've been reading a book by David Pawson. I don't know if you heard the normal. Yeah, of course. Birth, yeah, yeah. Heard of this book? yeah. You bet. And I, I really like I, and I've been really checking a lot of this with scripture, and I. One thing that's like a conviction that I've developed is like language. I, I keep seeing everyone saying, I'm saved, and she's saved, and he's saved, yeah, yeah. or he's not saved. And really coming to see salvation as a process, I see like... They, like yeah, so, so tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm just jumping in for time's sake. So yeah, David Pawson, let him challenge you, a highly respected British Bible teacher. Uh, scripturally, the, the word sozo, uh, to save, we have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. That's the scriptural way of looking at it. We have been saved. No question about it. We are being saved, meaning becoming more holy and growing into the image of Jesus. And we will be saved, meaning final resurrection and being with the Lord forever. So, yes, it's past, it's present, it's future. And the David Pawson question would be, well, what are you being saved from? What are you being saved to? Or better yet, who are you serving? Friends, we'll be live tomorrow on July 4th. God bless you.